0: Listening to Fox Sports radio.
1: radio well you just heard the man with the golden voice he's from up above at Fox Sports radio it's that time of week we've got an epic show for you tonight as I've said many times before sports are the greatest reality show and you can script everything but the ending and on that note we'll come back to another award-winning edition of straight out of Vegas the weekend adaptation. I'm Bernie Friday. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So go to geico.com for a free rate quote. Tonight, I tackle a subject I'm tired of hearing about. It's called tanking. And in a minute here, I'll give you my unabashed thoughts about, well, the effectiveness of tanking. And in about 15 minutes, Steve Fezzik will join via phone to chop up Week 15 as the NFL enters its most important month. Remember, they always remember which you did in December. Later on, after Brian Fenley's epic update, Sleepy will weigh in on another best bet. He's been hotter than a pistol. And of course, we close down the show with Mackinon Sports and plenty of fodder to twist your brain in knots. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, people want to talk about them, so you've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. This is straight out of Vegas. The pregame show you always wanted. And as they say in Prince Rogers, Nelson, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. All right. You know, every time I hear the word tanking or the term tanking in the NFL, my teeth itch. I just don't think it works. And frankly, the mere notion of it begs the image of a fish better in a poker game trying for a single card to complete an inside straight. Yeah. What are the odds? See, so matter, no matter how you look at it, the, the losing teams in the NFL, they're almost always staring in the face at some sort of rebuild. Take the Detroit Lions, for example. Soon they're going to be ushering in a new era with fresh faces at coach and at general manager. And regardless of that, that loathsome T-word should still be avoided at all costs. because tanking is not what you think it is. I say that because I'm going to tell you why it does not work in the NFL. Lose now so you can win later. I get it. That's the thought behind tanking. It would seem reasonable if a team can't go any higher. Well, then why not position yourself for future success? Now, many refuse to admit they're committing this heinous sack. but, you know, you'd rather lose now than acquire better draft capital tomorrow? That's all well and good, assuming that the first round of the annual draft uh, you know, would ever offer any degree of surety. Tank for Trevor is the new phrase heard around the league this year. Trevor Lawrence is next in a seemingly endless line of can't-miss prospects. But how are those teams that suck for luck or sucked for the duck, Marcus Mariota? Both teams that earned the right to pick those guys are starting different quarterbacks this season. In fact, if you go back to 1999, only one of the 28 quarterbacks selected in the top five has ever led his team to a Super Bowl. That would be Eli Manning. 14 of the 28 have a losing record, and only two have been an MVP. That isn't a lot of success for a quote can't miss prospect. See a first round draft uh, check that. A first round draft pick, by all measures, well, he's a very good football player, no doubt about it. But Scott in the NFL is about as much luck as it is science. Otherwise, how would you have drafting how would you be drafting gems like Giovanni Carmazzi? It's because there's always a perpetual swirl of uncertainty that envelops Every NFL draft, according to a study done back in 2018, there's only a 53% chance that a first round draft choice even works out. There's absolutely no guarantee those players will actually, you know, manifest themselves as productive players. So why blow everything to go out and get them? What is guaranteed is there always going to be plenty of star power throughout the first round. Impact players like Patrick Mahomes, J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Donald, Lamar Jackson, all of them were picked outside of the top 10. So what the Lions need to worry about is securing a general manager that it can actually find those you know, diamonds in the rough later down the, down the line, as it were, and pair them with a coach that can turn those selections into you know, future pro bowlers. The decision is not up to the players, so why not play your best football each week to attract top management and scouting as well? These guys are paid to win football games, and that gets me to my next point. When when mid-November rolls around every year, teams, well, they kind of approach this disappointing stage of the season where they don't have much to play for in terms of playoff aspirations, but they're still professional athletes. They're paid to play football at the highest level every single week. To ask them not to play is insulting, not to mention the odds of injury. They increase when a player doesn't go 100, percent heaven forbid, an offensive lineman would take a playoff. This isn't major league baseball, where you can pitch a minor league arm, and you know the other people just the other team just runs up the score, and no one gets hurt. The NFL is a violent sport; it requires full go at all times. Guys are playing for their jobs every week, and what they put on tape matters. No one ultimately knows who will be on the active roster next week, much less next season. With that being the case. These guys are always playing for their next contract. That's their job. You're asking them to go against their very nature as professional athletes to tank. That competitive edge is how they survive in this league. Also, I just don't get how someone can cheer for a team that has admitted defeat and they just toss it up. Tanking just doesn't work in the NFL. If it did, why have the same concoction of teams been failing to make something out of it? It's because what happens is, When you go through this tanking situation, losing becomes your culture. There's a good reason that teams like the Jets and the Bengals and the Jaguars and others, well, they can't get out of their own way. These teams have lost for so long they basically seem incapable of ever getting out of it. And and now you want your fans to root for the home team. I, I don't know how that happens. Now, tanking in the NFL does not look like it does in the NBA, and it does not succeed the way it can potentially in the NBA, and here's why. First of all, the NFL season is too short. You know, if you, just, if you took a math class in high school and passed it, you know that the probabilities of things happening hold true over larger sample sizes. See, when you flip a coin, you've got a 50% chance of getting heads or a 50% chance of getting tails. We know because those are the only two options. But that doesn't mean if you flip a coin 10 times, you'll get five heads and five tails. 50% for each, easy and true. But 10 is too small of a sample size. You could get six heads and four tails or seven tails and three heads. Those outcomes aren't that unlikely. But when you start to flip a coin over 100 times, the sheer weight of the trials of the 50-50 shot eventually normalize. And the numbers really start to come out to 50% heads, 50% tails. So, see, 16 games in an NFL season is not a big enough sample size. There's still room for massive error, and that affects things. That affects the draft order. Consider the NBA. They've got 82 uh, regular season games. So there's so many more opportunities for bad teams to be bad and good teams to be good, and subsequently the bad teams lose And they continue to lose, and the good teams win, and the draft order sort of shakes out as an accurate model of which teams are bad and which teams are good. Now, I get it. A bad team can accidentally beat a good team, but that's okay. They've got 81 other games. In the NFL, if that happens, that's 6% of your season. You've only got 15 other games. As such, randomness plays a greater role in determining the NFL draft order as compared to the NBA draft order. There's a lot more randomness there. Number two, losing is hard because players, they're better than you think they are. Every, you know, all 32 rosters have 53 players. It's almost 1,700 players. They practice. They work out. This is what they do. You know, they're 300 linemen, 160 cornerbacks, wide receivers. And you think they're all good? Yes. They're all good. They're very good. That's how you get to the NFL. That's how you make it to an active roster. And that's how you stick on the active roster. Now, I get it. There are guys in the league like Jeff Driscoll and Kyle Allen and Brandon Allen and Dwayne Haskins and Ryan Finley, but they're still very good football players. They're just out of their depth when they come up against guys like Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt. All right, now look, philosophically, I understand there are perceived advantages of trying to tank in the NFL first. In the NFL, there's no draft lottery. Teams that tank in the NBA and NHL, they don't always see a top pick in return for their efforts. A few years ago, the Buffalo Sabres and Arizona Coyotes in the NHL, they both tanked in the hopes of grabbing a star prospect by the name of Connor McDavid. But guess who got him? Edmonton. Leaped both of them. Also, meanwhile, NFL organizations, they don't have to worry about some pretender beating them to a spot at the top of the draft because there isn't a lottery. If a team is terrible, they'll be rewarded for a miserable season with one of the best selections available. And if that team finds a superstar... In the NFL, he's probably that team's for life—the franchise tag, a very high attrition rate, and you know, partially guaranteed contracts. Well, that makes it far easier for NFL teams to hold on to their superstars more so than in, you know, in the NBA. You know, the vast majority of great successful NFL quarterbacks spend their entire careers with one team. Typically, situations like Carson Palmer or Drew Reese or even now Tom Brady, those are really actually exceptions. You know, and even if you hit on a star player at the top of the draft after tanking, you know, you get them, you get them for a 10-year, I would say you get them for, let's say, 10 years in the NFL, okay? So that might give you a reason to philosophically want to try to tank in the NFL. Also, high draft picks certainly have more trade value in the NFL than they do in the NBA, right? There's also nearly four times as many picks in the seven rounds of the NFL draft as there are in the two lone rounds of the NBA's selection process as such there's a little bit more of a trade market for picks during an NFL draft than during the NBA draft now i think there are so there are theoretically you know those are the advantages of trying to tank in the NFL which i'm dead set against now these are what i consider to be the real disadvantages it's much harder to turn an NFL team around with one player and you can't afford to tank for multiple seasons all right one exception might be the Indianapolis Colts, who were great for years with Peyton Manning before the future Hall of Famer. Well, he went down with a neck injury, and Indy went 2-14 and 14 in 2011, and they earned the first overall pick, and they got Andrew Luck, and you, you cobbled him together with, with the veterans they had left over, and they actually had a couple of 11-5 and five seasons, but they never got to a Super Bowl, and Luck wasn't really able to compensate for years of subpar drafting and bad decision-making. Again, one guy. How do you turn a team around with one guy? It's also more difficult to scout and develop lone NFL players that are worth tanking for. While there are a lot of players who you know fail to live up to their promise at the top of both the NBA and NFL drafts, I suspect most observers who play who pay close attention to both sports would agree that football it's a far tougher of the two to scout. The differences between college and professional schemes are more dramatic in football than they are in basketball. There are far more interaction effects, as it were, to account for in an 11-on-11 game versus a 5-on-5 contest. There are also fewer college football games to draw from in evaluating a typical player as there are in college hoops, although top you know, basketball prospects sometimes leave school early, so maybe there's not as many games there either. But the point of the matter is there's a lot more uncertainty about the value of tanking in the NFL because it's harder to gauge whether a player for whom a team is tanking for is actually going to come through for you in the way you want them to. A 16-game season also makes it much harder to tank than in an 82-game campaign. See, it's a simple rule. The smaller the sample, as I said, the larger the variance. A great team will have a much better chance at standing out over a longer schedule because it has more chances to press its advantage and prove its strength. But even dominant teams in long seasons can have a bad streak. Remember how great the, was it the 2016 Cubs that finally broke through and won the World Series? Won 103 games that year, but they had a couple of 5- and 10-game losing streaks along the way. That's not going to happen in the NFL. The goal with tanking is to be bad on purpose. So bad, in fact, that a team ensures it ends up with the worst possible record and the best odds of nabbing the top overall pick in the draft. It's easier for a mediocre team to look good over a 16-game season, though. Think about it. You have a situation where teams, they might not look that good, but somehow they manage to win games, and that screws the whole thing up. So it raises the ultimate question, should teams tank? There's another concern with football that seems worth mentioning, and it's the moral aspect of this. There's an incredibly high attrition rate and injury rate in football relative to other sports, and to me it raises reasonable concerns about whether a team should be willing to field a deliberately non-competitive roster. It's one thing for a baseball team, like I said, to throw out a bunch of replacement players, maybe they get bombed. But you don't really want to put a qualified quarterback out behind an unqualified offensive line. They could get seriously hurt. Tanking as a philosophy exists because I get it. It's one of hope. Teams need superstars to compete, and, well, you know, it's not a foolproof philosophy. But being realistic about your roster and your path to contention, I realize it's not as sexy and as engaging in the thought and hope of getting a top-flight prospect. Tanking just seems to be appealing to some people. But to me, it's just simply a better ideology – of how teams like the Jaguars and the Jets might rebuild their way to the playoffs through a series of good drafts, player development, player acquisition, and good coaching. In summation, my opinion, my humble opinion, I hate tanking. Show me where it works. I'm dying to see it. Coming up, Steve Fezzik. It's Week 15. We're going to chop up these games and talk about some things that you'll want to know before you fire tomorrow tomorrow. On these games, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more in car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Frado, We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. We are back on Straight of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. It's that time of week. Let's welcome in a gentleman, the only two-time winner of the prestigious Super Contest here in Las Vegas. That would
0: be one Mr. Steve Fezzik. Fez, how are you tonight? I am good. I'm wondering, is my nine-year-old old enough to watch parts of Die Hard, the greatest Christmas movie ever made? I think
1: that's good parenting, yes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely all right Fez uh let's get into this uh, speaking of diehards Saints and Chiefs I want to open up with this game because the Chiefs 5-0 and in their last five 0-5 against the number because they're forever expensive cumulatively laying 41 and a half points the last five weeks only winning by a cumulative 21 points laying a field goal well depending on where you got the number they are a favorite tomorrow in New Orleans how do you see this game
0: yeah, and I'd say three is pretty much the consensus. i got to tell you, Bernie, I'm really surprised this line has not moved. Now, early in the week, Kansas City was laying three and a half, and I think that some people got word that Breeze was going to play, and that's why it came down to three midweek. But even so, is uh, Drew Brees only a key half point better than Taysom Hill. I've got Drew Brees three points better, and I don't believe the Saints would be starting him if he wasn't close to a 100%. Given that, I could only look to the Saints.
1: No, that's an excellent point. It's my understanding Breeze is 80 to 90% healthy. But with Breeze this season, the Saints have scored 30 points a game without him, 24. They pass for 75 yards less per game. And then, you know, the Saints have only thrown for four touchdown passes in Breeze's absence. So I'm with you that you would think he'd make more of a difference. But perhaps one final thing, though. Chiefs, boy, 7-0 on the road this year, Fez, averaging 31
0: points some quality wins, too, Bernie, against good teams, you know, Baltimore, uh, Buffalo, et cetera. Really uh, impressive. For the record,
1: I am not involved in that game. Another game that's caught my eye, but I'm also not involved in this one, Cleveland, another road favorite. Browns coming off a loss, but off a loss this year, they're 3-0, and averaging 27 points a game. Baker's been good, seven touchdowns, two interceptions, and the New York Giants, They allowed 390 yards last week to Arizona. So Cleveland looking for that first playoff berth since 2002. Do you lay the wood on the road with Cleveland tomorrow?
0: You know, early in the week, Cleveland was laying 4.5, and and that looked pretty cheap against what would be you know, a completely hobbled Daniel Jones, and now it looks like it's going to be McCoy. But now it's Cleveland laying 6.5, and there's a big difference between those two numbers. It sure feels like Cleveland's going to win, but not by margin to me. I'm going to stay away.
1: Arizona tomorrow against Cleveland. They're home. The Cardinals are home, laying almost a touchdown. And Kyler, before and after the shoulder injury, big difference in his stats. But the Eagles, they struggle against running quarterbacks. They've allowed a league-leading 364 yards of quarterback rushes, number one in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Cards, Fez, as you know, clinging on to the final wildcard spot
0: entering week 15. What are your thoughts? I think we've got the buy sign again on Kyler Murray last week. Now, he ran the ball 13 times, didn't rack up a lot of yards, but the three games before in each of those, he only carried the ball five times. So I think that's a sign that that shoulder injury is largely behind him. And a big mass matchup edge here. Arizona, McKenzie ran the numbers for us. They used more four wide receiver sets than any team in the NFL. And now they're facing an Eagle team decimated with injuries in the secondary. I underestimated what that would do to Denver. I won't do that again. The Eagles have similar sorts of injuries to their secondary in this game.
1: Talking with Steve Fezig, the only two-time winner of the prestigious Super Contest here in Las Vegas catching weekdays on pregame check that pregame check that again catching weekdays on straight out of Vegas 3 to 4 Pacific 6 to 7 Eastern Seattle another road favorite laying five and a half against the Washington football team Alex Smith will not play now this to me is significant because before Alex Smith I almost said the Redskins. The Washington football team were two and six, four and one after averaging twenty-six points a game with Alex Smith under center versus nineteen, and they don't give the ball away when Alex Smith starts. Only give away, only four giveaways uh, with Alex Smith under center. Fifteen prior to that. I think that spells real doom tomorrow for the Washington football team.
0: I think it's a real problem, especially because Haskins, he was essentially exiled to what was that island that Napoleon was on? Was that Elba? I think he was, like, staying <laughs> at that same island for about a month. Certainly wasn't the backup quarterback, and you've got to wonder about the confidence of the Washington football team with him, and that win against San Francisco, that was two defensive touchdowns. That was nothing that um, Haskins did when he had to come. And so I could only look Seattle.
1: All right, Houston, Indianapolis tomorrow, Colts laying six. You were spot on about Deshaun Watson last week going to Chicago. They got hammered back on the road a second week in a row for Houston. And tougher duty this time, at least they get to play indoors.
0: So when these two teams played, it was indoors two weeks ago. And the two teams scored 44 in the first half. And somehow they only scored two in the second half with numerous red zone failings, including, of course, the Watson fumble at the end of the game. I think the 44 is much more indicative of what we can expect. The Colts have been a dead nut over team after September when their defense was good and their offense was mediocre. Since then, it's been the opposite. Shootout, let's go over 51.
1: One of the games I am on tomorrow, Fez, you got Minnesota as a short favorite at home against Chicago. Mike Zimmer, love him or hate him, 61% against the number since 2014, a very sparkling 66 and 42. They're good coming off a loss. It's do or, ti- it's do or die time for both of these division rivals. I just simply think Minnesota has the edge here.
0: Yeah, and let me clarify that I do like Minnesota in this game, so um, there was um, some thought that I may have liked the Bears because of some of the things that I had said, but the market likes the Bears. We're seeing the line crash down to to the point where we might even see Minnesota minus 2.5 tomorrow, so it's the market that is on the Bears I disagree with the market. I like the Vikings, but I hate to be against you know the really biggest bettors in the world. But I think this is an overreaction to the Bears in a great spot last week in the cold against Houston.
1: Fez, final play before we let you go, but I think it involves your best bet as we head down to Miami, where I know Bill Belichick has a sparkling record against rookie quarterbacks. But believe it or not, the, uh, check that. The Patriots only 2-5 and five in their last seven trips down to South Beach.
0: It sure seems like all those trips, the Patriots were like 11-2, and and it was basically a vacation for them before the uh, playoffs were starting. Now the Patriots aren't going anywhere in the playoffs, and I could see this game catching a lot more of their focus. The bottom line is Tua's weapons aren't there. His running backs are injured. His wide receivers are injured now that his tight end, may play, and he may get Parker to play. But neither one of those guys is going to be 100%. All the Patriots are going to do is run. So with one team just running the ball and probably not effectively, and the other side missing all their playmakers, Bernie, they'll be compromised on offense. Tua will be compromised by the genius shutting them down. It all points to a very boring game. 0-0 zero, zero at the end of the first half. We're going to go under the 41-and-a-half best bet.
1: Interesting. Well, I I am behind you on that one, yeah. Very good. Uh, All right, Fez, good stuff. Good luck again tomorrow. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so
0: much, Bernie. Appreciate it.
1: That is Steve it's the only two-time winner of the Super Contest here in Las Vegas. Catch him weekdays. Three to four Pacific, six to seven Eastern, as as a co-host on Straight Out of Vegas, the weekday edition. All right, coming up, Sleepy, another best bet, another player prop best bet. If you've been following these and firing on them, you should be getting closer to being much richer. And I've got a little story. Tonight's a 40-year anniversary of a famous football game, which leads me to why I think they should have a little bit more of an expanded college football playoff. But first... Well, let's go to the man. He is so cool. He's always the life of the party, even the ones he doesn't have time to attend. It's Brian Finley with the latest.
2: Thank you so much, Bernie. I try to be the life of the party and not be a wallflower. A flurry of pressure-packed college football games happening on Saturday. Number one Alabama outpacing seventh-ranked Florida, 52-46 in the SEC Championship. Tides Najee Harris compiling five touchdowns. After the game, Harris bouncing the praise Back to his fellow Bama players.
0: I really appreciate everybody on this team, really. You know, we overcame a lot of COVID and all the interruptions and stuff like that. And for everybody to really come here and win the championship and keep playing more games, there's no, nothing I could do and appreciate the team.
2: Clemson fans cherishing every last moment with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. He had three touchdowns as the number three Tigers winning convincingly over number two Notre Dame, 34 10 in the ACC title. Number four Ohio State piercing number 15 Northwestern, 22 10 in the Big Ten. Finale, Buckeyes Trey Sermon pigging out with 331 yards rushing along with two scores. Number 12 Oklahoma defies eighth ranked Iowa State, 27 21 in the Big 12. 12 title to win their 6th consecutive conference crown while the AAC championship went to 6th ranked Cincinnati after sticking a 34 yard field goal in the waning moments to clown number 20 Tulsa 27-24 and number 25 San Jose State finishing the regular season at 7-0 teeing off on Boise State 34-20 to reel in the Mountain West title. In the NFL, NFC top dogs in those Green Bay Packers mail it in with a 24-16 win over the Panthers. Aaron Jones, 145 yards on the ground. And the Bills pounce and take in the AFC East title after torturing the Broncos, 48-19. Now let's get it back to Bernie Frata, who on Tuesdays models at Toys R Us. (laughs) The
1: silver Tongue devil, Brian Finley. All right, thanks so much, Brian. All right, Sleepy has been hot, 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 and he's really sort of found a niche with these player props, and tomorrow involves one of the running backs in the games Fez and I talked about, New Orleans, Kansas City. And if you really look at this gentleman's statistics throughout the year and look at all he's got to do tomorrow to cash a ticket for you, as it were, I think this might be one of Sleepy's better best bets, and that's saying something because he's been hot all year. Let's give it a
3: listen. All right, Bernie, here we go. NFL Week 15 best bet. I'm going to make this one short and sweet. We're going to head to New Orleans, and we're going to play Latavius Murray, Saints running back over 34-and-a-half rushing yards. I'm not particularly high on this Chiefs rushing defense as they rank 26th in the league, and Latavius Murray has gone over this posted total of 34-and-a-half eight times already this season. Now, we know Drew Brees is hurt, and I don't believe he's going to drop back a whole lot in this game to avoid furthering injuring those ribs. I believe that the Saints are going to rely on that rushing attack, and I think Murray is going to get a decent amount of touches in this game because they're going to need Alvin Kamara more in the passing game to go ahead and make up for that Michael Thomas departure. So I'm going to make this one short and sweet here, Bernie. I'm playing Latavius Murray over his half rushing yards for my NFL Week 15 best bet.
1: Now Latavius Murray is actually averaging 4.6 yards a carry this season. He's gone well over that total, as Sleepy mentioned, several times, even rushed for 113 yards on 19 carries earlier in the season. So it's just a matter of getting touches. And Kansas City's defense, their run defense, has not been great. So Latavius Murray over rushing yards tomorrow. Sleepy should continue with his hot best betting on these prop bets. All right, as I teased a minute ago, uh, 40 years ago tonight, one of the more famous or infamous college football games, depending on which team you were rooting for, was played in San Diego at the Holiday Bowl. It featured two teams, BYU and SMU, December 19, 1980. It was a Friday night. And this was a game where BYU was a prohibitive underdog. And with about five minutes to go in the game, BYU trailed SMU who were led, they were led by uh, Eric James and Craig check that again, (laughs) Eric Dickerson and Craig James commonly known as the pony express an extremely talented football team. Anyway, they led BYU 45, 25 with five minutes to go. And on fourth down coach Lavelle Edwards, the legendary coach at BYU told his quarterback, Jim McMahon, we're sending the punt team on the field. Now, I actually got recruited to play baseball at BYU, took a trip up there. I have nothing but great things to say. I didn't go to school there, but I knew people in that game, and so I was behind the BYU bench, and McMahon looked across the field at Coach Edwards and said, get the F off the field. And he proceeded to lead the team down the field, and they scored three touchdowns in the last five minutes, including a Hail Mary to a guy named Clay Brown who went to play for the Denver Broncos, had a cup of coffee, And BYU beat SMU 46-45 to in what has become commonly known as the Miracle Bowl. I bet if you Google it uh, and put Miracle Bowl, BYU, the whole thing will come up. It was an incredible evening. Part of the reason I wanted to share that story tonight is when you get two teams on the field and form and function takes over, just about anything could happen. And I'm not going to comment at any great length on the college football playoff format tonight. We've got other fish to fry. I just want to touch on a couple of things because I'm going to talk about it in future shows, and I'll be getting to do uh, some fill-in shows uh, over the holidays, and we'll touch on it then. But I I really think at this point the college football playoff needs to be a championship-based because you've got a fundamental flaw. You've got five power conferences and four conference champions – And or uh, excuse me, you've got four selections, so somebody gets left home. And I've heard the argument over and over. Yeah, but they're no good. They're no good. Look, I just told you what happened in the BYU SMU game, and you you had to know how much of a prohibitive underdog BYU was that night, and how much more talented, at least on paper, SMU was. But when you get two teams on paper uh, on the field, and it's decided on the field, just about anything could happen. Look at a team like Cincinnati. Now before the season. They were 100-1 to to win the national championship here in Las Vegas. Well, they might as well have been 2 billion to 1 because they're not even going to get a chance, and they did everything they were asked to do. They were undefeated. Did they play the toughest schedule in the world? No, but that's not their fault. You don't know what would happen if you put them on the field. It's likely that if you put them on the field with Alabama, they're going to get beat. I get that. But Florida, on the same conference, they were a 17-point underdog tonight. So it was likely they were going to get beaten. they did, but they still fought hard. Clemson was a double-digit favorite over Notre Dame, the team that beat them. Ohio State was a three-touchdown favorite against Northwestern. So even if they are – we're referring to group of five conference teams and they're huge underdogs. Is it really that much of a difference than what we're seeing right now? You know, I'm sort of reminded of 2014 because Ohio State lost in week two or week three – Urban Meyer's team that year lost to Virginia Tech 35-21. to 21. Everybody said, that, you know, Ohio State's done. They stink. They're not going to make it back to the playoffs. Well, they reeled off several wins in a row. Then their JT Barrett got hurt. Then their second-string quarterback got hurt. They were down to their third-string quarterback. And no one wanted Ohio State in the groupthink echo chamber to go to the playoff. Instead, the outcry was for TCU, and justifiably so. Gary Patterson's team was 12-1 and one that year. They had four top 20 wins, and on Saturday night, uh, 2014, just like tonight, when you went to bed, TCU was the number three-ranked team. Well, Ohio State leapfrogged them, and believe me, there was a lot of teeth gnashing. How was Ohio State, a team who'd lost to Virginia Tech, going to go into these playoffs with their third-string quarterback, Cardell Jones? It wasn't fair. Well, I'll tell you what they did. They hammered Alabama in the semifinal game, and they went on to beat Oregon in the championship game in a very convincing fashion. Urban Meyer even wrote a book about it. So put the teams on the field. I'm not advocating a widespread sort of a formula. I'll I'll reveal what my solution would be in future shows. But suffice it to say that tonight, 40-year anniversary of the Miracle Bowl, BYU and SMU, if you remember that game, if you saw that game, if you heard of that game, if you're at the game, tweet at us. I'd like to know what your thoughts were because it is a legendary football game and it proves once again for the thousandth time that anything can happen really when you get two teams on the field and they're both motivated. Coming up, you know them, you love them, you can't live without them. It's that time, Mackinon Sports with Mackenzie Rivers. He'll come up with some cockamamie thing to twist your brain. <laughs> what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. We are back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live. From the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles tonight, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. That would be Chris Perfett, Brian Fenley, and Kevin O'Connell. All right, you know him, you love you can't leave without him, it's that time of the week, Mackinon Sports and McKenzie. Tonight, a little twist because this is sort of an offshoot from uh, the Fox Sports Top 20 list that has been gracing the airwaves uh, for the last couple weeks. Pretty big, uh, I think it's been a big success because it's engendered a lot of conversation uh, of the likes that we'll
3: have tonight. They wrapped it up this week, a lot of controversy at the top, as it was (laughs) expected. But before I get into my biggest omissions, biggest miss ranks, everyone wants to know, Bernie, you contributed to this list. I did, yeah. Who do you have as the greatest athlete of the century?
1: Well, I I went with Tiger Woods, and I'll tell you why, because uh, first of all, Tiger basically broke in at the end of last century, and I remember in 1999, I interviewed Jack Nicklaus at the TPC Dearborn, and I said, is Tiger going to break all your records? And he said, yes, but he's still got to do it. I want to see what his life looks like when he's had his first major injury, when he's married and has kids. Mm. Ten years later, right on cue, you saw what happened. But yeah, at ominous. that point, Tiger had not only all you know, won 80 tournaments and 14 majors, he transformed the sport and transcended the sport. And he got a $60 million contract from Nike. And before he ever won a tournament, there was so much pressure on him, and he came through. But here's what sealed it for me. He was dead, buried, gone. He was the a combat. punchline. And to come back and win the Masters in 2019, okay, It's like the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Fame. People argue in baseball whether certain people should be in or not. Okay, let's relegate this to the most famous, the most impactful, the most influential, and the most successful. And it wasn't a team sport, and I was determined when I cast my vote to not give the number one to a team sport player. Tiger Woods was my guy.
3: Legendary performance Masters 2019. None of us will ever forget it. Did you see this weekend his son Charlie hit Saw an that. Eagle? Right? Saw A little that. Yeah curving bender, 175-yard drive. I couldn't argue with Tiger Woods. He would definitely be in contention. I would have him above number two LeBron James and above number one Tom Brady currently on this list. But I'm not sure I would have him above this guy. This is my biggest misrank. Number seven, Usain Bolt. Specifically, he's three spots behind the other great Olympian on this list, Michael Phelps. Now, August 2008, it's one of the sports memories I'll have my entire life. This, in a a field of the greatest runners ever seen, some of them had set world records in their lives. Justin Gatling, for example. This man separated in a way you will never see again. He was trotting towards the finish line like a horse versus seven men. This was Greek godlike. And if you look at the numbers, just on a statistical basis— He set the world forward 50 years as far as what the world record was before he got there and how far it had advanced in the last 50 years and what he set it to. I mean, that night in Berlin, I mean, in Beijing, when he won going away, pounding his chest and slowing down at the end, people thought he made a mistake because he could have set the world record. Well, a year later in Berlin, he did. 9.57. It will never be touched in my lifetime, Bernie. One of the more underappreciated things. I know he only has three gold medals and Michael Phelps has 12. But every man in this world, every woman in this world has run once or twice in this life, and no one even did it in the ballpark, in the stratosphere of one Usain Bolt.
1: All right, now, I don't want to pee on your parade, but am I wrong in interjecting the fact that Usain Bolt got into hot water over using a
3: banned stimulant, a PED? Is that true? This 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 is— earth-shattering news! I had never heard this before. What did? What have you heard? This is this might change my whole life perspective. You bro. didn't know that. I did not know. that. All right. Well, let's not go down that road
1: because I. If I, I mean, I'll,
3: if it was Adderall or something, I don't, that's one no, thing. No, no, no.
1: It was. It was. A, it was a long word like mycelohexidoxaline or some gosh darn thing. You can Google it and do your own research. Mm. It's not okay. It's not a. It. It, it wouldn't necessarily be smirch. His accomplishments. I'm merely interjecting that that if you took that into consideration, that that happened. All right. All right. So I mean, Barry like, Bonds what, what, is number 19 you, on this list. You got to remember. I want, and hold that thought because uh-huh. the beauty of this list is, is is people are going to make their picks based on subjectivity. All right. This is like picking your favorite noodle in a plate of spaghetti. The reason right. I never get into the Le- LeBron versus Jordan argument is because you never. No one's ever going to submit. I will only say this. I saw both play courtside, and for me, it's Jordan in the sense that if I needed one player to win a game and my life was on the line, it ain't going to be LeBron, it's going to be Jordan. But when I look at this list and I look at two decades, look, Usain Bolt checks a lot of boxes. And I don't think it should have gone to a team sport guy. And I have no problem with Brady being number one. He just wasn't my number one. And I love the guy. I covered him in Michigan. Everything He's making me look good. All of my predictions since he turned 40 have come true. So the only reason I interject that on Usain Bolt, Bolt is not to uh, disavow your pick, but merely to interject information as to how did you process that?
3: Uh, well, I'm fascinated to look into that, which I have not. Um, I mean, he was such a young, skinny kid when he started to set world records. I'm sure – that his natural speed is far and away the reason why he's been able to set records as he has. Uh, real quick, Bernie, there's a lot of soccer players. This is a North American bias list that didn't make the list. I would just say one that has to be here. Her female Marta, six-time yeah, yep. world champion. Just watching her play, I've never seen anything like it. I can only compare it to Michael Jordan versus eighth graders. You have to see some YouTube clips of this lady play. She was just, She's just a god amongst ladies.
1: Know all about her, and my daughter played Division I soccer, so I, I'm familiar with who she is. Mackenzie wants you to save this. You got so much meat on the bone here, we're just not able to get to all of it. We're going to get to it in a future show. All right, thanks so much for Fez coming on tonight. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. I'm Bernie Fratto. Next up, Jason Martin keeps it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. out
3: of Vegas!